Thank you for joining us for Talking Sleep, a podcast of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Seema Kosla, Medical Director of the North Dakota Center for Sleep in Fargo. Today, I'm pleased to welcome two guests, Dr. Anuja Bandiopathai and Sam Rusk. Dr. Bandiopathai is a sleep medicine physician and member of the AASM's Artificial Intelligence in Sleep Medicine Committee. Sam Rusk is co-founder and president of EnzoData, developer of EnzoSleep, an AI scoring and analysis solution for both polysomnography and home sleep apnea testing. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Seema. This is such an honor. So we have a lot to cover, and I'm excited to hear both about the clinical as well as the industry perspective on integrating AI into sleep medicine. So let's get started. So I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about AI, kind of give me a, a, an intro, sort of an AI 101 crash course. What is it and how does it work? Yeah, absolutely. I, I can take this one. Um, so machine learning is machine learning and AI are, are often used in, interchangeably, uh, but machine learning is used to describe a collection of methodologies that are all used to make decisions. And so whether it be classifying a data point into two or more groups or estimating a continuous value, uh, machine learning models can be trained to learn the correlations and patterns that connect an input data to a target data. Um, and so a simple example that may resonate with, uh, with many clinicians is in detecting an obstructive apnea event. And so in a classical signal processing type of approach, you would hand engineer a peak-to-peak -peak measurement. And you can imagine moving that peak-to-peak -peak measurement over time. And as the peak-to-peak -peak falls below 90% for greater than 10 seconds, you would detect an apnea event. Um, in the machine learning approach and methodology, you wouldn't specify the rule as a, you know, you wouldn't need to specify an apnea has a 90% reduction in flow. The models would simply learn after seeing thousands of examples, you know, the difference between an apnea and a hypopnea event. So this is kind of interesting, right? Because I think before with our automated scoring, we would kind of tell it what to do, right? Like what to look for, like you're talking about that 90% reduction in flow. And it sounds like what you're describing is we just say, this is, here you go. This is what an apnea looks like. This is what a hypopnea looks like. And you kind of feed it into the machine and you're like, you figure it out. Is that, does that sound right? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And we're able to leverage, you know, the thousands and tens, you know, millions of different respiratory events that have been marked and kind of accumulate all of that knowledge into these models. And so sometimes we even joke, you know, the, the models have been trained on, you know, 30, 50 years of sleep technician uh, study. If you think about scoring a study that takes an hour per one. Oh, wow. So, okay. So help me understand this. What is the difference between machine learning deep learning and AI? Are they, are they all the same thing or like, what is the difference? Yes, absolutely. They, they are all similar. Deep learning and AI are often used interchangeably. Um, but I think there is, there is a difference between machine learning and deep learning. Uh, deep learning, you know, encompasses a wider family of algorithms from simple linear regression to decision trees. Um, and, and deep learning is a subset of machine learning that largely leverages computer vision algorithms to extract features from the data. And so I think the main difference to point here is that uh, machine learning approaches rely on well-represented features. And so if you think about sleep, you're pulling out maybe indices from an entire sleep study, and those are your features as an input. Um, deep learning allows you to take the raw, you know, the raw sleep waveforms and the raw data to extract meaningful patterns that are otherwise difficult to hand engineer. Oh, so it kind of teaches itself then. Exactly. 
Oh, okay. That's very cool. So AI obviously is becoming more important every year. And very recently, the ASM uh, released a position statement on AI. I wonder, Anuja, if you could tell us a little bit more about this. Yes, absolutely. So I I think that was such a great move towards the right direction by uh, embracing AI and coming up with this position statement where we acknowledge that, yes, AI is here to stay. And and now that it is here to stay, these are the steps we need to take before we can see it in a full clinical role. So I think for a few things like the the need for policies, the need for uh, generalizability of the algorithms, the need for transparency of data from the manufacturers, I think all of those were such good points uh, which the position statement brought up that this is all that we definitely need at the minimum before we can start AI-assisted scoring in our sleep labs and then moving forward from then. And we learned a lot from our radiology colleagues, didn't we, in developing that position statement because they have had um, AI-assisted imaging and so on and so forth, or or computer-assisted imaging for many, many years. And so I think, you know, as as an organization, as a group, I think Kathy Goldstein had looked to the Mm -hmm. radiology group, right, and communicated with them. Uh Um, And so I love that idea that we're, we're trying to replicate Um, We're learning from our colleagues that have already had their experiences, and then we're trying to establish um, sort of standards and continuity across Mm -hmm. different realms. Yes, yes, I and you're right about that. It's uh, they've obviously made great strides, and it radiology is a, a very technical field, right? And you have all these measurements and things, and for us in sleep, we do kind of similar things. So, uh. I think it was just a great collaboration and it just helped us gain more insight. Help me understand this. We have this huge explosion in technology, right? So we've talked a lot about consumer-facing technology, um, but then also the sort of clinical technology. And so when I'm thinking about AI, I mean, obviously the one that you think about is AI-assisted scoring. So can you start by explaining some of this to us? How, how does this work? How does AI help us to score polysomnography? Yeah, absolutely. AI helps us score polysomnography by, you know, reducing variation, helping technologists review sleep studies quicker and really address, you know, the growing uh, prevalence of sleep obstructive sleep apnea in the population. So I think right now, largely assisted scoring is helping to automate and helping to, you know, make this process a lot quicker to see more patients. And so I think this is the part that causes a little anxiety, right? That, well, what happens because we, it it looks like we're replacing our technologists with technology, right? So, and this is kind of uncomfortable. So is this inevitable? I mean, is this going to take over and we won't have bedside technologists anymore or or scoring technologists? So that, that probably is a, Great question, Seema. So with all that Sam has explained to us, yes, it's very easy to get scared and see our, uh, and see whether the technologists have any role or not. But I think one, we still have miles to go uh, before we can implement this in each of our labs. Uh, and in during that process, I think there's there's still a role and there are lots of logistical challenges and there can be a modified role of the technologist in the lab where AI kind of helps and supplements what they are doing rather than replace them. 
And I love that. That's how we've kind of referred to it Uh is it's not AI scoring, but it's AI assisted scoring. Uh And so we've kind of played around with it a little bit. And, um, and, you know, there's some things that I really like about it and some things obviously that, you know, are still kind of in, you know, works in progress, but we have um, been able to still utilize our technologists for other things. Mm-hmm. Right. Which yeah. which I do appreciate. And so I guess what I'm trying to figure out for myself is how can we allow ourselves to to use this technology without kind of being scared of it taking our, you know, taking over and taking our jobs? And how do we navigate that? That that, of course, is something probably we've been discussing for years now. Right. The AI takeover. I mean, People from Bill Gates to Elon Musk, everybody <laughs> talks about that, right? right? Well, well, hopefully it's it's not going to happen. But I think the best way to do it is the way ASM has approached it. Like go head on, embrace it, and uh, help make that integral to what our clinical practice is. So um, I think one, of course, it's uh, it is easy to be scared. Two, being scared is the first step, but then we need to move beyond that. Mm-hmm. Like thinking about our day-to-day life, AI is everywhere. Think about Alexa, Siri. Think about like like it's it's every every single place that you see. So it's going to it's bound to come into our clinical practice, but to um, standardize it and try and and use it so that it can complement what we do. I think that's that's the feeling that we all need to get used to. And so if we start to incorporate this into our clinic and our in our sleep lab, how does this impact accreditation? So it definitely will, because if, if we think that the future is going to be AI-assisted scoring, then uh, what first needs to happen is that we need to set a standardization all across the board. Mm. And the, the way we could do it is, again, um, it has to happen at many levels. So the manufacturers who are developing these algorithms, they have to, of course, make it generalizable. They have to get data sets um, where uh, one of the challenges right now is that different uh, companies can come up with different algorithms and test it on separate data sets. But as Sam said, that this is only as good, the machine learning algorithm will be only as good as the, the as what the machine can learn, right? Mm. So if it isn't generalizable, if the testing data set isn't generalizable, then the machine will only learn about, say, um, just just a subset of population with OSA, correct? But then if the manufacturers, so that's what first needs to happen. The manufacturers need to include their cohort so that the testing data set is more generalizable. The next step would be when in our sleep labs, when we incorporate that, uh, we need to make sure that we have the logistical support, we have all of that so that when we are going to a patient and telling them that this is what you have based on this AI-assisted scoring, that needs to be backed by data. Mm-hmm. So I, and, and I think the final part is what we, uh, what uh, ASM has done, our, our committee has done, we've started this pilot initiative where we are testing all these commercial algorithms and the way we test it is by using a previously held out test data set, which just means that none of the companies have access to that data set prior to the, de- the testing. And then so it's we, new. It's new information. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So, so that the machine doesn't get a chance to learn that. And then when the machine comes to, uh, the algorithm 
comes to us for testing, then we can evaluate the performance based on this standardized benchmark. So in a way, I think ASM is helping promote and, and make this more um, standard all through across the board so that any sleep lab in any place in uh, USA, when they, if they say that they have this technology, then there's some vetting to that. Well, and it'll be interesting to see where this pilot program takes us. I mean, this is the first mm -hmm. of its kind, isn't it, in our field? We're really excited about the accreditation process. Uh, we're thrilled to be uh, part of the first wave coming through and, and kind of building out the proof of concept. Uh, and so we look forward to working with the committee to establish the protocols and the various kinds of, of, of rules that we'll have. And as you know, as look forward to seeing how it evolves over the next couple of years. So that's very exciting. So let's take a short break. And when we return, we'll explore other ways to use AI in sleep medicine. You're listening to Talking Sleep from the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. Register today for Virtual Sleep 2021. Attend lectures from leading sleep researchers and clinicians, browse the exhibit hall, and view the latest research in the poster hall. The sleep meeting is a must attend for anyone in the field of sleep medicine and sleep and circadian research. Learn more at sleepmeeting.org. Welcome back to Talking Sleep. We're talking with Dr. Anuja Bandiopathai and Sam Rusk about artificial intelligence in sleep medicine. So over the years, we have spent a lot of time talking about the AHI, and I think we all recognize that it's, you know, it's imperfect. So what can AI help us learn? I mean, what other metrics, for example, can it evaluate? There are many ways that AI can be used uh, to derive new metrics. And I think one that's high up on many people's list are the various uh, OSA endotypes. And so endotypes as a refresher are a compilation of disease mechanisms that help to explain disease expression. And so you can have the same disease and there can be different mechanisms that lead to that disease. And so are there different endotypes that will help us triage OSA patients into different therapies with a higher success rate? And so, you know, can you detect if someone's going to succeed on CPAP therapy or if they'll be better off with an oral appliance just from the diagnostic device? Those are the kinds of things that we might be able to discover in this data. Well, and that's really important, right? Because we have all of these conversations around who do we treat, right? Like, does everybody with an AHI of five need to be on CPAP? Does everybody with an AHI 15 who isn't sleepy need to be on CPAP? And so this is something I think a lot of people are, are looking at. And I wonder if AI, you know, is going to be the way that we can maybe help to bin our patients into these groups and really optimize treatment options for them? Yeah, absolutely. I think that is the exact question that people are looking to answer. Um, and I don't think right now there's really high resolution on what those different buckets are or what the prevalence of those different buckets might be. And so I think there's a lot of investigation that needs to go into, into that work. And you can apply that methodology, not just for obstructive sleep apnea, but for, you know, the other, uh, you know, many of the other kinds of sleep disorders. So I'm going to ask you a question. And this is a question that has been in my mind for years. It was actually one of my colleagues who brought this up many years ago. And he kind of pointed out that, you know, we've been doing the same polysomnography, like basically the same test for like 20 years. Mm -hmm. And we haven't really changed much about it. So is AI going to allow us to maybe extract more data from our patients? And then can we use this data to help our colleagues, right? So my brother is an endocrinologist and I routinely ask him, if, if you had access to your patient for eight hours, 
what kind of information would you want? Would it be helpful to know their blood pressure through the night or their cortisol or what have you? And is this something that maybe will help us collaborate with our cardiology colleagues, right? With our neurology colleagues. I mean, can this help us make our testing more valuable to our communities? Thank you so much for this question, because this is, I think this, it's, it just brings up the essence of sleep medicine. And I, I think ever since I, I did fellowship and since then on, it's, I, I've, I've always heard what a, we are a very, um, we are a melting pot, right? Sleep medicine mm-hmm. is a melting pot. We, we have different uh, f- uh, specialists from various fields coming in to do this fellowship. But the whole thought is that for those eight hours worth of data, like you and and it's it's sad that from that all that we get is just an HI. Right, but, right exactly. It, there's there is so and when you talked about that job security at the beginning, I think that's that's what again after you had home sleep studies uh, being done and all of that. I know there were there was there were concerns then as well. And 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 again with technology, I think sleep medicine has just embraced that and moved forward. Think about uh, not just like the eight hour of sleep study data, but think about all the consumer wearables that, mm-hmm. that our patients are wearing. I'm sure you you have that patient who comes to you in clinic and shows you all these different uh, uh, things that they've been seeing. I have been seeing in my Apple Watch. And and I think as, um, like, as, as a sleep physician, it's important for us to know what that data is and know how to interpret that. And then from then on, uh, we have that we have the ability to actually pre- be, do preventive medicine because if we can identify patients at risk for heart failure, if we can identify from the breathing pattern, if we can identify patients who have COPD ex- exacerbation, so the, we have that option in our hand. It's just a matter of trying to leverage that. And really to communicate that we have that ability or or maybe we mm-hmm. will have that ability, you know, and I wonder if this will help us become less siloed, right? Because sleep mm-hmm. medicine, you know, for some reason we've really become siloed and it's this sort of outpatient snoring uh-huh. problem without recognizing that sleep is a is a little bit of everything. It's just whatever happens in your given disease at night. <laughs> right. Yeah, so it's yeah. it's obesity, hypoventilation. It's, you know, all of these things that predispose to AFib or, or what have you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if this will finally help us provide more value to our patients via our testing. Yeah. So let me ask you this other question. So I've been thinking about this and I think it's obvious that we can use AI assisted scoring uh, to help with obstructive sleep apnea, for example. But can we use AI for other sleep disorders like narcolepsy or, mm-hmm. or insomnia or idiopathic hypersomnia or RBD? I mean, is there is there a place where we can utilize AI for that? Well, Seema, it's not can we, it's actually that we are. So there, that's actually something which has been happening in the last couple of um, years, I would say. Uh, let let me take the example of uh, OSA, even though, yes, we did talk a lot about AI-assisted scoring, but what we haven't yet touched about is the PAP data that we get. So there are mm. studies where they've seen that PAP data and they've seen the trends, and based on those big data analysis of those trends, they have been able to identify patients at risk for non-treatment or treatment failures. Then moving on, if we think about our other sleep diseases, for instance, narcolepsy, 
so I'm sure all of us are aware of all like the hypnodensity graph. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that in the hypnodensity graph, essentially what the science researchers have done is they've not done the they've not used a typical hypnogram that enforces a single sleep stage label. Instead, they are seeing how often are these patients with narcolepsy going in and out of sleep-wake transition. And they are using that data to help determine whether that patient has narcolepsy or not. I think it's fascinating. I remember seeing Dr. Mignot speak at APSS. Was it a couple uh-huh. years ago now, right? Uh, yes, About hypnodensity? Yes. Uh-huh. And, yeah. And doesn't it just make you, you know, your mind go wild with the possibilities of of how much value we can provide our patients and our, you know, our our colleagues. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's just fascinating. It's fascinating what they've been doing. And in, in other other fields of, or sorry, in other diseases, think about um, insomnia. So mm-hmm. in, in insomnia, uh, during COVID last year, a group of researchers, uh, I think they were uh, French researchers, they came up with this smartphone-based app called Canopy. Mm-hmm. And essentially what they did was they allowed, now since, of course, due to COVID, you were not getting to see the patients uh, in person, they developed this virtual agent who autonomously screens patients with insomnia and then delivers digital behavioral interventions. So I, th- I thought that was really a wonderful use of, of AI um, and helping not just diagnose, but also treat patients. Well, that's just it, right? Because it's mm-hmm. so much, it, sometimes the the ideal care that we would like to deliver is just inaccessible. And so mm-hmm. harnessing this ability to direct, you know, go right to consumer and utilize AI, you mm-hmm. know, I think is really going to help a lot of our patients. And then, you know, by the time they do wind up in clinic, they've already done this. And there probably is some underlying sleep pathology that we need to help them with. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree with you on that. So what do you think the biggest barrier has been thus far for AI? Yeah, I think, the, I think one of the biggest barriers is, is the lack of robust data sets required to investigate the, these complex relationships that might lie within sleep data. Um, and so at a minimum, I think you need data sets that contain EMR records for medical history, uh, raw diagnostic waveforms, and maybe even the longitudinal raw CPAP waveforms. Uh, and I think you need all of those to really investigate how these relationships might play out in the physiology and more broadly to to really investigate the under the underlying pathologies at a mechanism level. Uh, the mm-hmm. models may need genomic data and lab testing data, you know, other kinds of continuous monitoring data. And so I think those are the kinds of, of barriers that we're still seeing in terms of lack of centralization of, of good data. So you're kind of hinting at how we can all work together, right? Clinicians and researchers and industry. Uh, I mean, how does that work? How how can we collaborate? And then how can we effectively utilize AI in our clinical practices, in our research labs? You know, how do we work together? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it really does take folks like your, both of you and, and myself to get together and, and think about these in a collaborative way. Uh, you know, you have quite a bit of expertise uh, in terms of these underlying mechanisms and the physiology. And, and I think bringing the machine learning expertise to that and working together to create solutions is really one of the only ways to to the end of the road. Yeah, I completely uh, wholeheartedly agree with what Sam is saying. And I want to bring up the example of like working in the committee with uh, with uh, 
industry representative as well as the physicians, there were times where I, I completely felt like a fish out of water. I didn't know all these technical <laughs> technical terms and, and these guys are they, they they were so smart. And but but the fact that their minds and ours came together and we could come up with something so collaborative and and, and so useful, I think that is such it's just such a great step towards the right direction. I actually really was um, pleasantly surprised to see um, representatives from industry on these committees, because I think you're right. We we have to be able to work together and not just always be worried, right, and scared and sort of unwilling to embrace change. I mean, change is here, <laughs> whether we are ready for it or not. And, and so I think it is really important that we all are at the same table. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we don't mm -hmm. want, you know, Sam creating something that makes us really, really scared. And I'm sure he doesn't want to create something that maybe isn't as clinically relevant. Right. So I mm -hmm. think that collaboration is is the path forward with all of this. Absolutely. So, Sam, final thoughts? Yeah, I, I'm <clears throat> my final thoughts are, you know, I'm extremely bullish on on sleep data and the ability for AI to to help improve outcomes. You know, there isn't many other places in the healthcare system where you record as long or as high temporal resolution data. And so I'm really excited to continue facilitating research and, and trying to understand the underlying mechanisms of a lot of the diseases that are out there today. How about you, Anija? As sleep physicians, we all know that sleep is it's highly related to health outcomes. And we can treat it as a gateway to learning more about the patient's health. And as a sleep physician, I think we need to embrace augmented intelligence as our ally. So at the risk of sounding too cheesy, I'm going to end <laughs> with a quote from Inception that we mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger. My, it's one of my all-time favorite movies. I love the portrayal of dreams <laughs> in there. And I, I think that's, that's how it is. AI may just help us dream bigger and achieve that dream. Oh, I love that. What a lovely poetic way to end. <laughs> well, thanks, Eva. Thank you guys for your time. Thank you for listening to Talking Sleep, brought to you by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. For more podcast episodes, please visit our website at aasm.org. You can also subscribe through your favorite podcast service. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. For more feedback or suggestions, email us at podcast at aasm.org. I hope you'll join us again for more Talking Sleep. Until next time, this is Seema Kosla, encouraging you to sleep well so you can live well.